I would like to say thank you for, for the time this morning. Uh, it is the first time, uh, I think, that I have presented at, the, at this um, function. I, I have at the short term one and at the main one, but never at this one. And it's nice to see a lot of familiar faces uh, here. And I think when Donovan contacted me a couple of weeks ago to, to ask me if we'll do a presentation on ORSA today, I think my first thought was, sure, that's quite a dull topic. You know, I think it's a bit overdone. Most people know about it. What, what can we do, do to, to make it a bit more interesting? But I think I speak for both Covey and myself. In preparing for today, um, kind of re-going through the journey that we've been on with, I think it's probably more than 20 clients uh, to get them ready for the mock also, and the, the journey that we'll continue with them, I think we did find it an extremely useful process. I always say that, that the ORSA, for me, is, is the mirror of, of how well you are doing with your SAM implementation. It gives a very good idea for me to what extent the, the principles underlying SAM, because I think sometimes we forget what SAM is trying to do. It is actually trying to do something useful if you look through all the gumph and the compliance, and, and to what extent you have been able to take that useful bits of it and actually put it into the nuts and the bolts of, of your organization. So I think the also is, is, is really a good way of, of having a look at that. And I think the industry has come quite a long way. Um, if you think um, two years ago, class, I mean, you can attest to this as well, looking after the also working group, the questions around what is the also, what should be in the report. Don't worry, I'm not covering that. In case anyone is worried, I'm not going to cover that. But uh, to a point where uh, on the 31st of August, pretty much everyone submitted a mock also report. Although some of them limped there, if we're honest about it, but these also reports were submitted. So what Kavi and I are going to try and do today is we're going to share some of our stories and key observations of the journey we've been on. And I think I want to put an emphasis on, on we, it is Kavi and my, it's our personal views, and it could definitely be biased uh, by the clients we worked with, but we, we did work with uh, some of the large groups as, as, as well as some of the smaller niche guys, so hopefully across life and short term, so hopefully there will be some balance, uh, some balance to it. And I also look forward to when we get uh, to, the, to the time of uh, asking questions or when we get to tea, if any of you feel free to share some of your stories, because I'm sure there are, are, are a couple of hair-raising ones or funny ones or, or, or things like that. So just maybe a bit of a stock take on, on the mock also and, and just a couple of high-level observations. Now, like I said, uh, most people actually did submit something. Uh, most of the insurance companies that were part of groups just submitted a group also. And I think one of the big things that was debated over in the preparations was how long should this thing be. Based on what we saw, I would benchmark about between 40 pages and 120. It's kind of like where most people fell into, into, into that bracket. And the amount of effort that went into producing these mock authors varied widely across the industry, ranging from um, the one-man band starting a month before um, and the board not seeing it at all, uh, to very big company-wide projects, engaging actuarial finance risk that was probably project managed, where, where the board actually 
did see it, did, did get an opportunity to comment, but, uh, but I think it's important to understand it was very wide-ranging. And the, the other thing is, it's, it's also there's still quite a big gap. For some companies, it was literally their first also. Like I said, the boards haven't seen it. For others, it's actually quite a well-established process. For, I mean, for one of our clients, it was their fifth or sixth one that they, that they actually did. So, so the board was very familiar with it. I've given quite a lot of feedback as to what they want to see in it. Um, but it's also maybe fair to say that a lot of the guys that have produced their authors quite a number of times are also some of the companies that are part of IMAP, where I think the focus um, to get ready for IMAP has forced a, a greater um, urgency to, to get those authors in front of the boards more regularly to meet the use test requirements as well. Um, now, if we're honest about it, my, my personal view is the bulk of the industry still treated this submission as a compliance exercise in the main. And uh, that I, I don't, uh, Kavi will talk a little bit about risk culture uh, in, uh, in a little while. And that there was not that much benefit obtained from, from a lot of these mock authors that were produced, it was just compliance. If for some of them, uh, where they did go to, to, to more effort, I think the main areas, just in brief, where I think uh, the most value was obtained was through uh, the scenario um, analysis process, which I think highlighted quite a couple of useful things to, to the board and, and executive management if they went through a robust process, and also the projections, um, getting that full balance sheet and income statement view which, especially on the short-term side, is not something that, that really existed, existed before. And then just in summary, I think, as I said, there's a, there's a wide range of practice, both in the report and how the processes are implemented. But in general, uh, I would say that uh, it, is, it is our view that there is still considerable work required to make uh, the production of the author a painless process and also to make sure that it's fully compliant with, with what the regulator would, would want. Sorry, I will get this right as we progress. Okay, so can everyone hear me? Yeah. Um, for the next part of the presentation, uh, we'll, we'll take you through uh, as what Asumri mentioned uh, was some of the lessons uh, learnt uh, from our perspective, uh, some of the observations, and uh, we've tried to also highlight uh, areas of uh, key focus. Um, and in going through the also, we've, we've divided our observations into, into five uh, key areas. Uh, which seemed to make sense when, as, as we went through them. Um, the first one is use and embedment, uh, then communication, uh, the also process itself, um, technical aspects, and then we'll finish off with, uh, as Sumri mentioned as well, the risk culture and, and the sponsorship uh, for the also process. So starting off with, uh, with use and embedment, um, I'm not there yet. Sorry, Kavi. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> there we go. Um, I think uh, th th this is obviously a, uh, a a very challenging area. Probably the the, the key most challenging area uh, for uh, for the awesome for the industry. Um, 
the the extent to which it was used and, uh, and was embedded in in the business varies widely across the industry. I think uh, there are a number of organisations, uh, particularly those with uh, who've established ERM frameworks and and have been using them for uh, some time or have been you know implementing them in the business for some time, where actually the the, the also was uh, reasonably uh, well used uh, for, for for certain things. But I think for most of the industry, um, this was, uh, and certainly for the mock also, just to, uh, it was seen as an exercise of, of, of compliance, really. Just to, the, the focus was really to get a report out. Um, I, th I think the also uh, as a whole is, is quite challenging, um, especially for the smaller companies, but um, the large companies have their, have their challenges too. And, and, and the focus for, for the mock also really was, was just ca can we produce something that the regulator is going to be, is, is, is going to be happy with. So I think uh, there's quite a lot of work to be done in, in uh, using the also and embedding it in the business. And in order for the rest of the industry and those without the, the well-established uh, ERM processes to, to really get there, um, a few things need to happen. Um, the first one is, is, is really a change in attitude um, by senior management and some of the boards, certainly some of the, the ones that, that, that we've dealt with, in order to see that also is not just a, a pure compliance exercise. Um, I think it goes hand in hand with uh, fitting the also into the, into the organization. Um, so it's supposed to be a bespoke uh, process. And, and while I, d I mentioned um, practice does vary across the industry, I, th I, th I think there is, there is still quite a lot of work to do to really customize uh, also processes and really fit them into uh, the organizations in, in a way that works. And I think if, if that happens, uh, we'll see a change uh, from the senior management and, and boards in the industry to seeing it more than a compliance exercise and, and, and looking to, to derive uh, some value from it. Um, also, I th uh, what 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 needs to happen is is turnaround time. So, so in our experience, uh, in 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 a number of organisations where they also is actually used, we we can see the, the the turnaround times for producing capital numbers and projections are quite long. Uh, it, it takes a lot a lot of organisations over a month to produce um, projections of future solvency. And 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 uh, you know several weeks to produce uh, uh, solvency assessments, and I think in order to uh, in, in in order to to ensure that also is used more widely in the organisation, those turnaround times really do need to shorten. There's also quite a big education gap um, with with a number of boards. Uh, some of them are are obviously more advanced than others, but. Um, there, 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 isn't, there isn't as much understanding as there should be, uh, I think, in, in, in boards on what value can actually be derived from the also, what, what information they should be looking for, and, and where they can actually use it in decision making. Um, if, 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 these, if, if these things are, are focused upon in, in, in the next year or two, I've, I think we'll see a lot more use of the also. Um, there, there are obvi obviously uh, a few use cases that, that, that have been explored, but only just a few. In general, what we've seen, again, particularly with the smaller organizations, um, the, the, the key area w where the also has been used is to really get an understanding of the risk profile of the business for the first time. 
um, and to get an understanding of the capital drivers uh, that, 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 that really drive the capital requirements. Um, but in, in general, the, the, the amount of value derived uh, from the author will vary from organization to organization, and, and it, is, it, it is natural for it to, for, for it to do so. Um, I think the more risk and the more uncertainty there is in the organization, uh, the more value you ultimately get from the author. So if you have uh, a large capital buffer, a very stable uh, book of business, um, a, a very simple uh, business, uh, very simple investments, the amount of value that, that you'll get from, from an also process will be much less than if you are much closer to your solvency margin with, with only a, a, a little leeway, a very complex investment portfolio, a, a very dynamic business that's changing quite a lot. Um, the, the also will obviously find a lot more use in, in, in that sort of organization because solvency, solvency management is a much, is a much bigger deal. But across the board, I think, m I think more needs to be done to, to derive value out of the, out of the author. Um, th there were, however, in, in, in our experience, a few interesting use cases that are, uh, that are worth mentioning, apart from, from the very low-hanging fruit, which, which I mentioned earlier. Um, for some of the smaller organizations, the beefed up, uh, as I call them, projection models. Uh, so so, so in, in order to produce projections of future solvency, it required a more investment into um, budgeting and forecasting processes that, that, that finance teams have, have developed. And uh, for, for, for some of them, the automation of this and the, and the increase in the accuracy of these processes um, actually added a lot of value. Uh, and, and the finance team themselves uh, actually got a lot of value from it. Um, assessing the impact of corporate insurance. Um, so, so this was a particular case where uh, the company had actually built and invested quite a lot in an operational risk model. Um, and, uh, and, and so the model also considered uh, the, the corporate insurance that, that was being purchased and you know, risks to assets as well as uh, you know, risks to potential uh, li liabilities that the company may face. And, and there was a very interesting exercise which we did in order to optimize or identify gaps in the corporate insurance and look at actually how it's priced. Actually very similar to a, a reinsurance optimization or a reinsurance analysis exercise. Um, acquisitions and, and investment mix impacts. Um, there, there was uh, quite an interesting, uh, interesting case about a month ago <coughs> where uh, a fairly large organization was looking to, to change the mix of, uh, of cash investments. And uh, interesting for me, what was interesting for me anyway is you wouldn't think uh, you know, the introduction of a new bank, for example, would have a, a, a big impact on solvency or, or, or would, would need that much consideration. It is, after all, a cash investment. But I think uh, given the way that standard formula works and the concentration risk charges, there was actually a fair amount of analysis that was done around introducing the new bank, the, the credit ratings that, that, uh, that would be permissible. Stress and scenario testing uh, is, is one of the key areas as well where a, a lot of value can be derived. Um, for a number of organizations that we worked with, um, there was a lot of focus on very extreme stresses. So uh, reverse stress, thing, uh, stress testing was done. But, but the stresses that, and scenarios that were derived tended to be a very extreme, on the order of uh, one in 100 years, one in 200 years. So, so you know, not things that people would expect to see in their working careers. Um, and, and for those sorts of stresses, they're obviously very useful for 
you know, resolution planning, rec recovery planning, um, but, but they, they tend not to speak to the business strategy that much. Um, for, for one client, we, we actually, there, were, there was a particular emphasis on uh, risks to business strategy. And, and while the extreme stresses were done, we also focused quite a lot on uh, much milder events, so one in five years, one in ten years, things that you would uh, expect to see but are still reasonably extreme events. And, uh, and there was a, a, a fair amount of discussion and quite a lot of value that came out of that discussion. Um, and a lot of input into their, their, their strategy processes um, more generally. So embedding the author uh, and, and, and deriving value from it in general is, is, is definitely going to be a focus uh, for the industry uh, going forward. And, and there are two key areas uh, that, that uh, I th the, the, the industry really needs to place a lot of emphasis on. The first one is, is really uh, getting the various stakeholders in the business to buy into it and, and to use it uh, in their day-to-day -day work. And as I mentioned earlier, I, th I think turnaround times and, uh, and, and um, engagement with those stakeholders is, is, key, to, is, is, is key to doing that. Um, but also, I think, training. Um, I, I, I think we sit in, in quite a number of board meetings. In, in fact, I was, I was sitting one about two weeks ago uh, where, where presenting on the mock also, and the, and the board basically said, you, you know, we're fine, we, we don't need any more training, we just want to see the results of the also. And after, after working through the report and presenting it, um, there was very little challenge, even though there was quite a lot of analysis, and I thought quite a lot um, that, that uh, the board could have challenged us on. Um, the, the, the we really didn't get enough challenge. And, and to me, it points to um, uh, more training and, and more understanding being required from, from boards. So I think one of the, the, the key things, uh, or key tools that was also going to help with the, the use of the AUSA is, is the AUSA report. And that's the bulk of, of what sits under this, this communication section. And um, it always makes me think of a meeting Kavi and I had two years ago. Uh, this always comes to mind for me with the FD of uh, one of the, the larger insurance groups locally who told me, Sumri, what I need is we need to write the Wilbur Smith of authors. Now, this is a, for me actually an excellent way of thinking about it because, because what is he on about here? He wants you to tell the story of risk and capital within the business in a succinct and clear way that is engaging for the reader. Now, I don't think anyone has gotten to the Wilbur Smith version yet, but I do think, replace his name with someone else if you think he's not the best writer, but I think aspiring to that is, is, is one of the, the, the key things for me. I think this also report can actually help to quiet some of the, the noise that we be getting on a lot of the risk committees from the uh, independent non-execs especially, I think the awareness of the responsibility that they are taking on on the board is, is increasing and I think they're more and more worried and especially on the risk committees that I'm sitting on, um, the actual guys, the risk guys get challenged quite a bit on, on the governance side by the independent non-execs. Now <clears throat> the trick is to get these guys to engage with the report. I was sitting in a risk committee meeting two weeks ago where um, 
the one uh, independent non-exec was, was uh, giving the head of risk quite a hard time around governance, and they were asking questions. And I was sitting there thinking, well, you know, all these questions are actually answered in your also report. The only sad thing is that, is that these uh, execs haven't actually seen the report yet, and they're insisting on additional work, and, and it's actually that gap at the moment that I think is, is causing a lot of friction on, uh, with, the, with the independent non-execs. Now, one of the things I think that makes it hard for them is they look at these also reports, some of them that see them, and they don't feel familiar because of the fact that it's just like this dump of, of processes. It hasn't been customized sufficiently so that they recognize it as something that is bespoke and specific to the risks within this organization. So, so I think that's very um, important. And I think the, the way in which the legislation has been drafted, which is more principle-based rather than, than hard rules, uh, do give you the opportunity to actually make the thing your own and tell your story. There is a question about the approach that the regulator will take. Um, but I mean, if, if you ask my opinion, uh, the also report for a large life group like Liberty and the also report that you produce for a personal lines, retail-linked insurance company like JD, they shouldn't look the same. They shouldn't contain the same things. And I think that balance, uh, if we can get that right, that, right, that will help quite a lot. Um, now, the other thing is, like I said earlier, I, I think very often the also reports at the moment is just a dump of, of um, information from a variety of sources. When we go back to that comment about Wilbur Smith, right, your also report is supposed to be an executive summary of how you manage risk within your business and how much capital you need to, to cover residual risk if we take it simply and we don't look at the forward. And um, I hope I'm not offending anyone by making this comment, but for me, if I sit in a uh, board meeting and um, head of risk comes up and, and they put up a presentation to provide a summary of the also report, it tells me that they have not cracked actually telling that story. And I did encounter that quite a number of times, that that presentations was used to summarize the also report. Now, what do I think industry needs to focus on? I think what we've been focusing on, like Kavi pointed out, is we've been thinking about what does the regulator want? How do we keep the regulator happy? Now, my question is, I think we should be thinking about how do we make the board and the risk committee love the also report, right? How do we, how do we get that to happen? And maybe then the key question to ask there is, can we, can we get to a point where the also report actually replaces the risk committee pack. And I think that's, that's one of the, the key uh, challenges I want to put out there. So on, on the also process uh, then, I think, um, as Sumri mentioned, it's quite a challenge to produce um, an, uh, an integrated report. Um, but more than that, uh, what we've seen is getting the various stakeholders um, on the also to work together uh, and, and dividing the roles and responsibilities in, in a sensible way has also been a, a, a fairly challenging process, um, particularly when it comes to the division between uh, risk, um, actuarial, and finance. 
Um, and, and there's no fixed model on how to break these responsibilities down. Um, what we've seen in the industry is, is that it tends to, uh, the work tends to find the skills. So wherever the, the, the deepest skills lie and, and whoever's capable, that's where the, the, the most of the work tends to, tends to go. T certainly when it comes to risk and, 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 and actuarial, um, there are a number of risk uh, functions within the industry which have very limited actuarial skills. And in, in those cases, it, a lot of the, the risk work on, on the ORSA or the actuarial work, the actuarial co components of the ORSA tend to, tend to fall onto the actuarial de um, department um, with, with, with risk taking on a lot more of the ERM uh, type focuses. Um, whereas on, on, for, for other organizations, there are, are actually actuarial skills um, in, the, in the risk management function. And, uh, and and there we see you know the risk management function actually doing a lot of the um, a, a lot of those assessments on solvency and, and and capital requirements and the actuarial function then being uh, being limited to to things like the technical provisions and, and the valuations um, thereof so so and getting these different departments to work together in, in a completely integrated way. Um, has 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 challenged uh, I think both large and small organizations in fact we, we were busy with uh, a smaller client about uh, six months ago where um, the finance division had actually produced uh, you know the forecasts for a number of years and had forecast the technical provisions um, and uh, obviously the, the way that they they done it being accountants uh, was obviously in, in an accounting way and and reasonably simplistic um, so it was quite a challenge to actually convince them why. You should have, uh, like, said, I hope I don't offend anyone. I hope I don't offend anyone. Yes, there was a lot more investment that went into, into the actuarial model in, in, in this particular case. <laughs> so I, f I feel justified saying it in this particular case. Um, and, and, and so w w we, we actually did need to convince them that, that you know, this, uh, this forecast of the technical provisions was, was a more accurate way. And, and, and in the end, we, we managed to integrate those, uh, those, those two things together and, and not only help the budgeting process, but also help the, help the also process. Um, the processes tend to be uh, fairly unformalized at, the, at this stage. Like I, I mentioned, for the mock also, a lot of the focus um, has been just getting a report out. <coughs> um, and and I, I think a lot, of, uh, a lot more focus needs to go into formalizing the processes. I think this is an area where, where I, I think actuarial is, is quite a big culprit from, from what we've seen. Um, actuarial processes in general um, tend to be fairly uh, loosely controlled. Um, and, and there tends to be a lot more controls in, in say, the, the finance divisions of organizations. Um, so, so controlling these processes uh, w with key controls and making sure that they are uh, you know, not just well-documented but, but, uh, but fairly formal and streamlined is, uh, is, is, is going to require some focus. Um, there is limited uh, governance and assurance. Uh, so, so independent assurance wasn't a requirement of this also. Um, I think that when you take a step back and look at it though, there are pockets of assurance that are already being provided on various components of the ORSA. Um, so while we wait for the regulator to, uh, to issue firm guidance and, and final, uh, a final position on exactly what's going to be required on, on the, on the in independent review of the ORSA, um, to me the, the, the key is, is, to, is really a combined assurance framework where we actually 
combine a lot of the assurances that already exist um, in, in t into an, an independent assurance uh, of the author. And that, that will obviously save a lot of effort. So, so the key focus for the future is definitely on making the processes uh, safer and more streamlined. And, and I think if, 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 if that's the focus, particularly in, in actuarial, again, I mentioned, um, it will support the use of the ORSA as well. Um, in a number of organizations, there have also been uh, you know, errors picked up in, in quiz calculations that, that, that we've reviewed and been involved with, um, as, as well as the, the turnaround times that I mentioned. So if, 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 if the industry tightens up on those, those two particular issues, I think it will support the use of the ORSA um, across the organization a lot more. Yeah, so, so Kavi mentioned actuarial processes not being controlled, and uh, I think that's a very, very fair, fair comment. Uh, so if we look at the, at the technical aspects, I think we've just highlighted a couple here. And um, the, the first one we've got up there is the challenge to the appropriateness of the standard formula. It was excluded for purposes of the mock also. And what we found is most companies didn't do it. Uh, because of the fact that, like I said, some of them started a month before as a one-man band, so there's no way that they were going to get to that. But even for some of the larger companies, uh, I, I don't think that uh, appropriate amount of work has, has gone into this, especially for the large groups. I think that's a very interesting one for me. I mean, Kavi and I were involved um, with a large group. So if that, that, that actually did attempt to do this. And it's a challenging situation if you're part of a group where not all the entities are financial services entities. So say, for example, if you have a large property company as part of that group, where the balance sheet of that property company is equal in size to all the insurance entities put together, how do you decide how much capital to hold for that? And, and it's actually quite a challenging process. It's actually... Um, I think for all of us as actuaries, from a theoretical perspective, it's, it's quite a fun process, but it is actually quite a challenging process to get, to get that right. And I'm not always sure if, if uh, we all have the right skills to do that. Or um, uh, the other interesting one is how much capital do you have to hold for 150 buffalo? Um, I'm not sure, but Gary and I did come up with something. But I think that's definitely uh, a, a challenge that still exists. Now, on the balance sheet projection side, a lot of time and effort went into this, and I think uh, there's still a wide-ranging practice between the level of detail, the amount of prag pragmatism that people uh, used. Uh, there's not even, uh, in, in, in what we've seen for some of the very, uh, larger groups, there's not even consistency between divisions or between the entities. Some of them uh, took an approach where they were very approximate. Some of the other uh, entities or divisions were more detailed. So this is one of, of the areas that I think going forward there will still also uh, be quite a bit of work needed. And then the last one I just want to highlight, I mean this wouldn't be a, a group of actuaries if we didn't talk about data, right? So uh, one of the challenging bits about the also that we need to face is that there is, also is bringing together very closely risk, finance and actuarial. And these three things or groupings have separate data sources very often. Now we're trying to produce one set of consistent numbers out of these data sources. 
and that is causing a large amount of additional cost being incurred, is slowing the process down to ensure that the recons work. If you look, one of the uh, largest reinsurers uh, worldwide has been, uh, over the last two years, spending a considerable amount of money in getting one common data platform that will be used by all three of these entities. So there's no need to do reconciliation between the numbers because in their view, it's one of the critical things that you need to get right to make sure that you can streamline, like what Kavi spoke about, and that you also don't break the bank in, in getting that streamlining right. So if I had to highlight one focus area out of, out of all of this that we haven't highlighted yet, is, is this whole issue of challenging the standard formula and whether it's actually appropriate for your business. There's large amount of value to be gained from that. In the processes where people actually did do it, where Kavi and I were involved, it actually does increase the understanding of the true risks within the business. Now, the tricky bit with that is it, it does require time of already stretched teams that's just struggling to produce the numbers, and that also means budgets that needs to be approved. And that then brings me links nicely to, to Kavi talking about uh, stakeholder management. Yeah, so um, culture and sponsorship. It's always interesting as a consultant because we work across the industry to see the different cultures and the different way different organizations um, approach the same problem. Um, and the, the, w what we've observed is, is a, a wide range of, of, spon of, uh, of the level of sponsorship um, from uh, the, the executive team and, and from boards. I think in, in some organizations, you know, we're engaged directly w by the CEO or, or the CFO, um, and they're intimately involved in both the SAM and the ORSA process, uh, and you know, challenging us and directing us every step of the way. Um, and in other organizations, uh, it tends to be um, you know, delegated down to sometimes the most junior risk manager. Uh, and and uh, you know, our key contact and, and, and uh, client is, is that person. And what, what's striking is just um, you know, how much the, the, the difference in terms of what's achieved and how the author is perceived in the organization um, in, in those two, two extremes. I think definitely, um, you know, w without exception, where the, where the executive and, and, and board are intimately involved, uh, w we see authors of, of a lot greater quality. Um, it's, it's much more widely accepted within the organization and uh, a, lot more, uh, a lot more investment uh, is, is obviously given towards the author. In the other case, um, you know, as one client uh, uh, put it to me, it's like herding cats in a thunderstorm. Um, you know, he just really wasn't getting anywhere. The, 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 st the stakeholders in the, in the organization really weren't giving the, the sufficient time <coughs> to the author. And, and so th there's definitely a, a level of, and, and we're not suggesting that, that, you know, this needs to be the key focus of, all, of the entire executive team, but there's, there's definitely a level of, uh, of sponsorship that's required um, at, a, at a board and, and an executive level in order to establish the process and make sure that the author is, is used properly. Um, it, and, and as I mentioned once before, the, the, it also needs to fit in with the culture. Um, so, so it's also very interesting um, to see the, the, the different decision-making cultures. Um, you, you know, some clients are uh, very entrepreneurial and, uh, and uh, run their business, uh, some would say, by the seat of their pants a little bit. Um, you know, even though the businesses are quite large, decisions are made 
you know, on the fly. Um, governance and risk management tend to be uh, seen as you know hindrance to, to, to sort of progressing business. Um, whereas uh, in, you know in, in other organisations, governance and risk management are given a lot more focus, and and due process needs to be followed every step of the way. Uh, and and I think the also and the way it's implemented needs to reflect uh, reflect that. You can't have a very cumbersome also process. Uh, you, you know, even though Sam is saying uh, he, everything needs to be very well controlled and very well uh, governed, that's that, that's certainly true to to a level of compliance. But you need to fit in with the culture uh, of of the organisation if you want the also uh, to be accepted and and used widely um, a, a across the organisation. In terms of the area of focus, uh, so I think we're also at an interesting point. Um, in terms of also, but also in terms of uh, risk management generally, uh, as I mentioned, you know, s uh, many organisations have had ERM functions and and risk management functions uh, for some time, but uh, for most of the industry, um, and particularly the short-term insurance industry, and particularly the, the, the smaller clients, I would say, um, risk management is uh, is something new, and risk management functions have only really been. Uh, established and given a lot more focus over the last uh, over the last two or three years. Um, so so th across the industry, we see people still finding their feet in some ways in 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 risk management. Um, and and the, the, there's a very big challenge that I think faces uh, risk management functions uh, and and also processes um, to, together. And that's really to justify. Um, more investment and more attention, uh, more attention in in that area. I think uh, for most people who work in these in these areas, um, maybe biasedly, but most of them would argue that that there hasn't been enough investment and there hasn't been a, you know th we see lots of teams who are stretched in terms of resources uh, and and you know people really struggling to keep up with all of the all of the requirements. Um, but but in, in order to get that investment, I think um, that the challenge for risk management is to is to uh, deliver value. And we're actually working with uh, a client at the moment, one of the, the larger clients, who really is taking this challenge um, head on. So they've, they've implemented quite a large risk management function and uh, recruited uh, some fairly senior people. Um, you know, some of the best <coughs> talent uh, in, in the organization has gone into the risk management function. It's very expensive, of course, but, and, and so the, the, the challenge here is really how do we deliver uh, value, not just uh, not just complying and, and using the also, but actually deliver real value to the organisation that that creates value for uh, for shareholders. In summary, um, I think uh, you, you know, looking back, uh, you know, for those of, of you who've been involved with Sam for uh, for quite some time, you know, five years ago, we were staring at this challenge and and wondering uh, if we would if we would ever get there. So. Seeing the industry submit uh, mock orses uh, really is uh, a proud moment for the industry, I think, because uh, you know it's it's been a long journey. Um, I I think the the overarching theme across our presentation, though, is is, is that um, this is the first step, and and there's still quite a long way to go, not just in terms of compliance and and and, and not just in terms of, of of meeting what the regulator wants, but but in terms of actually seeing the also used and delivering real value uh, to the rest of the organization. Uh, welcome, any questions? Uh, no, yeah. Pleasure. Thank you for that. Um, if you can just indulge me on maybe a couple of comments and then a question. 
So just from, uh, sorry, Andy Rayner from Discovery. Um, just from our experience, um, we did an also for our two regulated insurance entities in South Africa, as well as our group, so three horses. And um, we, we didn't do for the UK operations yet. They have their own uh, requirements. We, we worked really hard to keep them to about 60 to 70 pages. Um, and that made the group one easier that we've done the individual entities. So, uh, um, in terms of board engagement, we had extensive engagement over probably a six-month period with risk committees, actuarial committees, uh, management Mexico's, group Mexico, board, <coughs> board training days, focus days. So we extensively um, communicated with the board and the non-execs particularly. And the feedback from them was they found it really useful as a way of focusing on the key risks that um, they were kind of aware of but maybe couldn't always contextualize. I think also going through that process um, led to two specific changes to the business model that I can um, just recall off the top of my head. Um, so one of them around the capital allocation issue, another one around the business um, process. So again, really did throw some real good insights for the business. Um, what else can I say? In terms of actual engagement, so our group's management function has a, a very strong second line actual component. Yeah. And so that really played into our hands as well, let's say, in terms of just getting one team to pretty much coordinate the activities and do a proper first line, who are also very competent and skilled for doing this. So that was good for us. Um, and I think uh, where I sort of see, I agree with your point, the work in the future that needs to be done now is, um, I think, the appropriateness of the standard formula is an interesting area. I was going to ask you a question about that answered already. And um, streamlining and making these things faster, getting the actuarial models you know, a bit more uh, streamlined. So there's definitely some common things that we've experienced in the background for presentation. Um, just in terms of questions, one of the things that, uh, and this is a, a consultant's ideal question from the floor, um, but uh, how do you see the external review process working with these horses once we get into proper external review? In terms of, you know, not just the report, but the processes in business that support that, um, do you do it on a rolling basis? How, how do you see this external review process? Kavi, do you want to answer that? It sure. kind of falls into... Okay, sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's that's a very interesting question. Um, I, I think our views is is definitely the the, the combined assurance one. Um, so, so I think I think as I mentioned, uh, there are a number of insurance providers already in these processes. So internal audit looks at um, you know a number of processes in the business. Uh, there are a number of, of organisations who've implemented um, you know model governance and model validation processes. Uh, within within uh, the the actuarial functions, um, so, so it's really about tying all of those things um, together, and and I think um, the 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 amount of uh, independent assurance or uh, you know assurance to be provided obviously depends on uh, the importance of this process uh, to the board. And, and in different organizations, it, 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 does, it does vary. So, so as I mentioned, you know, in some organizations, this is absolutely critical because they're really on the margin to solvency. In other organizations, where the solvency margin is bigger, I think the assurance can be, uh, can be lighter. Um, I, as, as to whether it, it, should, it should happen you know, every year or you know, be spread out over, over a number of years, um, I think... Uh, I, I, I think ideally it it it, uh, it it 
could be spread out because that would spread the cost. But, but I think that um, certainly from our uh, engagements with the regulator, it does seem that, that, that they're probably going to insist on uh, at least some sort of review on an on a, on a annual basis. Yeah, I think uh, I, I would agree with you. I think the, 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 the main thing here is, and as I see it, there's already so many layers built into this thing. If you think also with PAC, uh, on the numbers, on the role of internal audit with checking processes and controls and all those kind of things, uh, it's important not to, to duplicate costs. I, I do think there is value in, and, and that's not just speaking from a consultant's perspective, in, in getting an external review of the report just in the sense that getting another viewpoint or some point is on, on maybe where you can get more value out of what you're doing currently, that's very useful. But that's not really an independent assurance role. That, that's more like a benchmarking, benchmarking kind of role. It's not 100% clear to me exactly how the regulator is, is going to go about it. But uh, for some of uh, our clients that's in the IMAP process, uh, the way we've approached it has been on this heavily combined assurance view uh, using the numbers being validated by the already the validation team that's doing it, internal audits playing a role and external audit actually playing some role as well. And with all those three together we, we did the we did the review. Colin Kinson at Society. So let me get your views and I think there will be guidance from FSB forthcoming in terms of the timing of the also whether it should sort of follow the year-end process or should wait for the next strategic session to update, for example, those projections. So, something to get your views on that. Okay, I'll start and you can, you can add, Kavi. I do hope that the regulator does not give firm guidance on this. I don't know where Klaas and his team is on that, but I, I hope that the regulator doesn't give firm guidance on it because I think in order for this to work and to work for businesses, they need to decide where... Uh, some of these things need to happen. And I think the report is a culmination of a number of processes. And these processes will happen right throughout the year at the right points in time uh, for, for that to work. So, so you get people at the moment that is looking at producing their also when they're doing their strategic planning. Uh, and then you get some that will do it after year end. I think doing it at year end, one of the tricky bits around that is it's already quite a strained process um, producing, so you're going to put a lot uh, of additional strain on already stretched resources. And I'm not always sure if that is the place where some of these processes add the most value. So when you're doing a strategic planning, planning that's more where you want to look at your projections, want to look at your capital projections. So, so that's my personal view on it, but I'm not sure where it, where it will end up. Yeah, Kavi? Yeah, I think um, it's a very good question. Uh, question and we get asked it a lot and, and there, there is quite a lot of uncertainty also just in what's going to happen over the next year. So the number of clients who have um, you know, 31 uh, December year-ends uh, wondering w if they actually need to submit an also in 2016 or whether, uh, whether they can wait until you know, 2017 when Sam is in to, to, to submit an also report. Um, I think you know all we can do is, is consult with the with, with the regulator because it, 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 it is a little bit unclear at this point. Thanks, Klaus. Right. Thank you for that uh, very interesting presentation. Just got a little gift for you to say thank you. Oh, cool. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.